Welcome to Crossbridge. If you're a guest with us today, I am so glad that you're here. And my hope for you is the same as it is for every single person at Crossbridge, that you would be able to take one step in your faith towards Jesus because that is what we are all about. I'm kind of bummed that this is our last week in our series Guardrails. I've genuinely enjoyed our conversations that we've been having as a church around this whole idea of guardrails, and I have a feeling that we're going to be coming back to this term quite a bit. Now, if you haven't been with us, and and maybe you want to, you can catch us up with us on YouTube. Um, And if you're new to Crossbridge, here's what I mean when I say the word guardrails. Guardrails really are a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. They're never placed in the danger zone, and they are always placed in the safety zone. You know these things. We've been talking about it, right? They exist for two reasons, to direct and to protect us from hazards that would do a lot more damage to our car. But we've also been talking about how we don't just need guardrails on the highways, on the bridges that we drive on. We need them in all different areas of our life. We need need moral guardrails, relational guardrails, sexual guardrails, financial guardrails, and we need to remember that everyone's guardrails might look a little bit different. So placing guardrails in our life today, we know will help us avoid a lot of regret for the future. But it won't always feel good to do this, which is why I'd like to close out our series by looking at how we might guard the place that those feelings come from. So today, I'd like to dive into how to guard your heart. Last week, we camped in the book of Proverbs together, an Old Testament collection of wisdom written by what many consider to be the wisest man ever, King Solomon. We're going to start there again today in chapter 4, and Proverbs will be right in the center of your Bible, and it's a collection of general wisdom that a dad writes to his kids, and it's wisdom about things like money, marriages, work, family, friends, and almost any other topic that we deal with in everyday life. But even with this huge collection of wisdom, there's a small section where King Solomon kind of prioritizes what really matters. He dials into his kids and he says like, listen, there's one thing that matters more than anything else. All of this wisdom that I'm going to give you, you need to pay attention to this one thing. Have you ever heard a preacher or a teacher say, if you forget everything else that I've said, that's fine. Uh, Just don't forget this. Actually, that's what Solomon does. In Proverbs chapter 4, in verse 23, he he starts out this verse by saying, above all else, guard your heart. Solomon's saying, there's a lot of wisdom in here, but above all of it, above everything that I have said, you need to guard your heart. Why? Why would he prioritize that is my question. And it's because the verse finishes with, for everything you do flows from it. In the New Living Translation, it says, It says to guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. It determines the course of your life. That's a pretty bold statement. And again, I'm left wondering, what if this is true? We've been asking this question for ages, haven't we? So many of us, this is the root of all of our counseling sessions. We're wondering stuff like, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Asking questions to figure out our internal motives so that we can understand our external responses. Whether we verbalize it or not, I'm pretty sure that we all are trying to figure out the answer to the same question. What if everything we do on the outside is because of something going on on the inside? If this is true, then learning to guard the inner part of our lives because it impacts the outer part of our lives would be really important. 
So what does this even look like, and how do you start with this? Well, about a thousand years after King Solomon shared this wisdom with his kids, Jesus found himself in a situation where it kind of came to life a little bit. And I'd love for you to turn to the biography of Jesus, written by his disciple Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 15. And as you're turning there, listen, it's important to remember that as Jesus traveled all around Israel, large groups of Jewish people always gathered to hear him teach. But there's another group who showed up wherever he went. It was these religious leaders, these teachers, these scribes. They're also known as the Pharisees, and they, they hated Jesus. They were so frustrated with him, and they did all that they could to trip him up in conversations because they wanted to discredit him in front of the crowd and then arrest him. Sounds very nice and religious, doesn't it? Well, in Matthew chapter 15, we find this moment. It starts in verse 1 and 2, and it says this. Some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. This is about a three to five day walk that they just took, okay? Now they ask him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Okay, these Pharisees are coming to Jesus with a question about rules and traditions which were very, very important to the Jewish people. Um, For those who are soaping Leviticus with us right now, you get this. There are rules set up for people to follow in order for them to be pure before God. In this case, they were very specific laws and commands set up that they had for the priests and the leaders about ceremonial washing so that they would always be ready to do God's work. They had to be very careful about what they touched because if they touched anything impure, then they were impure and and they didn't want to do that and perform a sacrifice. So they washed their hands all the time, almost like they're nurses on the infectious disease ward, right? They were always ready. But over time, this law for their leaders and the priests became a tradition for the entire nation. They made everyone in the nation adhere to this guardrail so that they didn't accidentally touch them and then they had touched something that was unclean and then they touched their food and then they become unclean because the food that they touched on the outside is now dirty. But the law didn't command this, so Jesus is really like not really breaking any commands. He just wasn't paying attention to one of their traditions because they just made it up. And I love how Jesus responds here. When I read this, it's almost like, oh, let's dance. Jesus is ready to get it. Verse 3, it says, Jesus replied, And why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? He totally flips what they said, and he adds what they missed. You accuse me of breaking a tradition, which isn't even a command. But you guys, you're breaking a command of God for the sake of protecting your man-made traditions. And and Jesus gets specific with them. He says, for instance, God says, honor your father and mother. This This is one of the Ten Commandments. It's like the ABCs for the Jewish crowd. They know this. He continues, but you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. The crowd in this moment, they probably went all like wide-eyed, and I have a feeling they suppressed through like, oh, they knew what he was talking about, but we pretty much have no idea. So let me explain what's going on and what Jesus just did. The leaders had come up with a tradition to violate the law of honoring your father and mother by allowing any person 
to verbally dedicate or commit all that they own to God. However wealthy, everything you owned is tagged for the temple, okay? According to this tradition, though, while you were living, all that you owned, while it was given to you by God, you could use it to support you and your immediate family as long as you lived. And it was literally a rule or a tradition that kept them from being generous. Anytime that someone would come across them and say, uh, I need help, they would say, I just can't. I mean, this is all God, so while I'm living, you get nothing. So aging parents would come to their kids for help, for support, and they'd use this logic on them. I'd love to help, but I mean, you know the rule. It's all God's except for what my family needs. Sorry. Jesus knows what they're doing. So he explains it in verse 6. He says this, in this way you say they don't need to honor their parents. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own dumb, and, and that's the new Jimmy translation, your own tradition, you hypocrites. You come up with a rule and a tradition to get you out of obeying a command, and it's at the cost of your family, your parents. I don't know about you, but I'd be a little frustrated and embarrassed if I just walked three or four days planning my trick question on Jesus, and this is the response I got. We don't hear from the Pharisees again in this chapter. They slink away. But the crowd is still there, and as the Pharisees slink away, I'd like to think that this is the moment they were like, yeah, you nailed it. It doesn't say that, but I'm thinking that. So Jesus turns to the crowd then in verse 10. This crowd that's seeking him jumped to verse 10, and it says, then Jesus called to the crowd, come in here. Listen, he said, and try to understand it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Jesus is telling the crowd, what goes into your mouth doesn't separate you from God. And this would have been a revolutionary idea for this crowd for their entire lives. They have been taught that that is what separates you. And the disciples are just as confused, so they pull Jesus aside to get some clarity. Jump down to verse 15 with me. It says this, then Peter said to Jesus, explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what you eat. Now, I don't know if you just picked this up, but Peter refers to what Jesus said as a parable. A parable is a story with a point. It's like a, a fable, right? The disciples aren't even taking what Jesus said literally. So verse 16, it says, don't you understand yet, Jesus asked? Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. Remember, this is a group of like 13 men who have been hanging out. And Jesus connects to them, I kind of think here, like on a 13-year-old level. Guys, seriously, we all know how food works, right? The problem with, isn't, with food isn't when it goes from the outside in. The problem with food is when it comes from the inside, outside. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. But then Jesus changes his tone from this, I think, silly, playful 13-year-old level to connecting with 13 men that he loved and he wanted them to understand something huge. In verse 18, it says, but the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. And this is the term. Jesus is saying it isn't the food outside that defiles or separates us from God. It's the words that we say, the words coming from the inside out. The word heart that Jesus is using here isn't talking about like the physical heart, but the entirety of our inner self. When we tell someone that we love them, we get this right, we say, I love you with all my heart. We mean more than just the muscle in our chest that's the size of our fist. We're saying, I love you with my entire being at the core of who I am. And so Jesus is saying here that who we are on the inside impacts what we do and what we say on the outside. 
Jesus is saying to the disciples, it's our words that are defiling us. They are what's separating us from God. And this might sound as weird to you as it did to the disciples. So maybe let me try to put it this way. Our words have power, don't they? Yes, you know this. Our words, they have the power to hurt. They have the power to tear down. They have the power to destroy people. And how many times or how many people do we know who have said things without thinking, only to lose a job, destroy a marriage, leave this deep wound in someone else's life, a kid's life. And Jesus explains to the disciples, and he says to us today, like, we get in trouble with God because of how what's going on inside impacts and pours out over outside onto others. And Jesus doesn't stop there with the disciples. Jump to verse 19. It says this, from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, that's an action, adultery, another action, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander, all actions. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Why do these defile us? Well, simple, because they hurt people. Jesus is clear in all of his teachings. When you hurt people, you hurt God. And, and sin separates us from God. When we don't live like, look like, or love like Jesus, this is what we consider sin, and this is what separates us from God. All of our sin starts in the same place, and Solomon knew it, Jesus knew it, and I think you and I know it too. Sin starts here, on the inside. And it always works its way to the outside. And our words and our actions always affect the people around us. And Jesus makes it so clear in Matthew 15 here. Mistreating others offends God more than unwashed hands does. Listen, you might be able to fool people for a while. Seriously. You, you might be able to hide that addiction that you have or curb that language around your parents or your pastor. You might keep those apps and profiles pretty secret and locked down. You might be able to pretend in all different areas of your life, but you don't think it's that big of a deal. Because as long as you're holding to some made-up rules and traditions, the command of Jesus to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, those commands just really aren't that important. But here's the truth. We can only pretend so long. And, and here's why. Our behavior will eventually mirror our hearts, and our hearts will eventually show up in our behavior. Eventually, probably when we least want it to happen, our inside, what's going on in our hearts, what we're filling ourselves with, it cannot be contained, and it flows out into our words and into our behaviors. This this is why we need guardrails for our heart, which sounds great, but it is so hard to try to figure this out. And listen, to be honest, I love the way that Andy Stanley, a pastor at North Point Church in Georgia, where this whole series had come from, the way that he visualizes it and explains it is so great. So I want to take what he did and bring that visual to Crossbridge. And so to close out this series, it is time for the whiteboard. You ready for the whiteboard? I love the whiteboard. No fancy pictures today, but when it comes to setting up guardrails for our heart, listen, we're going to have to pay attention to how we feel. 
In some communities, I know that feelings are pushed aside because you can't trust them. They lie to you. And while this might be true sometimes, I don't think this is true all the time. I think that our feelings and our emotions are a huge indicator of what's going on inside of us. And, and I think that we need to be on the lookout, and today, for three very specific emotions. When we begin to feel any of the emotions that I'm about to say, this, this should feel almost like the rumble strip when you're going down the highway and you nod off a little, you're tired, and it's like... At that moment, you're headed towards the guardrail. These emotions, these are what I want us to just pay attention to. These emotions, ready? Guilt, anger, and jealousy. And if I spelt those wrong, we're gonna have fun and it's out there forever. Listen, when you identify these, um, you just need to know there's some work to do. Because there is something happening inside of you that has the potential now to create a lot of chaos outside of you. And our tendency though with all of these is we wait until something's already happened or we've said something, done something, and then we respond to it. And that's like putting up a guardrail in the danger zone. It's already too late, you know what I mean? We need to start paying attention as soon as the internal tension that we have of these, because in a sense, these aren't bad things. We could thank God for these emotions. Each of them does say something to us when they bubble up. So we're going to do a little say something. And we've got to wonder, what do they say? Well, guilt, you know what guilt says? Guilt says, I owe you. I owe you. I owe you an apology, money, time, uh, some task, something that I have taken from you and haven't given back to you. We could feel this internally, and the other person that we have in mind might never know that this exists. Guilt, it leads us to keeping secrets. There's this lack of integrity, saying yes to obligations or expectations that really aren't good for us or healthy for us. Guilt has a very sly way of seeping into our words, and it flows out into our behaviors by distancing us from others because we're always worried about being around them because we feel like we owe them. Anger, anger says something different. Anger says, you owe me. You owe me. I mean, you owe me because you hurt me or you took something from me, you owe me. And either you pay me back or I pay you back. And anger, this is the worst, anger leaks. We have all felt this. And Anger isn't stationary, it continues to move, it goes with us, it's mobile. It forces its way into our words, our tones, our facial expressions, you can't hide it, right? And, and it takes its way into all of our relationships. Anger, when we have it, is never isolated to the relationship of origin, where it came from. You could have been hurt as a kid um, by your kids, um, in your last relationship by that coach or a coworker yesterday at work, and you carry that anger with them, which says, you owe me, and you hold it against anyone who reminds you of the person who owes you. Even if the person who owes you isn't around anymore and they've been gone for a very long time and you're not with them, anger takes hostage anyone along your path and holds them accountable for something they could never pay for. That's what it says. And jealousy, you know what jealousy says? Jealousy says, life owes me. Life owes me. You know, Jealousy is a sneaky little one because 
we continue to think someone else got what I deserve. I mean, this could be resources, it could be a relationship, it could be talents, it could be a job, when we see someone enjoying something, but we sit back and we think, that should be mine. Life owes me. Well, this is jealousy. When we have this thought and we look at someone, it is impossible to love that person that you're looking at and feeling jealous of. And this right here could do some massive damage to our hearts. It could distort the way that we think in some crazy toxic ways. And here's the thing. If you have ever found yourself celebrating or rooting for someone else's loss or failure that is around you, your heart is rooted in jealousy. Is there anything really lower or more disgusting than that? I mean, this might be as far away from the heart of Jesus for people as you can get. Jealousy bubbles out in that little smirk when we share or we hear about that bad news in someone else's life that they're lost. We're like, huh, good, well, I didn't get it either. And, and their loss is our game. What the heck is that? Why? Because we believe in jealousy that life owes me. So when you hear, see, or feel any of these emotions, you have got to pause in that moment and address them. You've got to stop. And for followers of Jesus, here are some things and some ways that I think we should respond and what we need to do when we feel them. But listen, if you don't follow Jesus and you're with us, I'm grateful that you're here. You don't have to do any of this. But I hope that you do, and here's why. Because what Jesus teaches brings so much freedom to our life. And these exercises that we're going to talk about that we will address the inside stuff with will impact the outside stuff. This will make a difference in your life and you'll go, Jesus was right. It might not make sense emotionally and none of us will feel like doing these things. None of these exercises. But I promise you, they will bring the freedom that Jesus promises us. When you feel guilt and think, I owe me, you know what you need to do? You need to confess confess. Now, not to God. He already knows. It's not like you're going to say, God, I confess. And he's like, oh, get out of here. No, many of us grew up in the evangelical or Catholic church in a religious place where this is what we were raised to do. Confess to God and walk away. Confess to God in private. That's it. Tell someone we're never really going to see in real life or interact with. Pray what they tell us to pray and walk away. Nope. I think we have to guard against guilt. And to get that, we, we've got to verbally confess to someone that we trust in our life who can hold us accountable and ultimately encourage us to a place where we confess to the person that we have hurt and that we have stole something from. This will absolutely cause some damage in your relationships and to your ego, but it is minimal in comparison to the guilt and letting it fester. As long as this sits, it's going to eat you up. And the bigger the issue becomes, it will eventually come out. It will bubble up and over, and you will be found out. And the damage from this will cause so many issues, and it won't feel good now, but confessing is the path to freedom that Jesus gives us. When you feel anger, here's what I want you to do. I want you to forgive. Forgive. Most of us know this, and we hate it and don't like it. Forgiveness is really doing this. It's identifying specifically what was taken from you and deciding you don't owe me anymore. It's not enough just to admit, like, I had bad parents, bosses, siblings, friends. Like, they were the worst. Yeah, I know. People are the worst sometimes. I get it. But what specifically was taken from you? It's getting specific 
and then looking at that issue, looking at the person who owes you and saying, you no longer owe me this anymore. I am canceling your debt. And you might be thinking, that feels like I'm letting them off. Well, good, because you are. That's why, that's why it feels so bad. But you're letting somebody else off too. Do you know who? You. Because you're diving deep into the specifics of your heart and you're declaring, I will not be ruled by this anymore. It doesn't get to come with me to my next relationship or my next job. It doesn't get to impact me in how I relate to my spouse or discipline my kids. You know why? Because I am free, because I am forgiven. Because God forgave me, I can forgive them. And this is so difficult, but it is the way of Jesus. And it takes time, but it is worth it. And lastly, when, when you experience jealousy that tells you life owes me, do you know what you need to do? I need you to celebrate. Celebrate. Now, this one, I, I love to celebrate, but this is different. And you know what's funny? I know that we just said when life owes me, but... If you deal with jealousy, you've got to be willing to admit what the real problem is. It, it isn't that life owes me. If you're being honest deep down, we all know what this really means. We stop in a place where we say, God owes me. This really isn't an issue and a feeling between you and the people around you. It might surface that way, sure, but the way that you mentally and verbally compare your life to what others have and what they're getting... At the core of that is an issue between you and God. This has to do with, with what you think God owes you and didn't give you. I think you need to step back and, and, and take time to recognize that God has allowed everyone to live life where they are, right? And, and in your life, my question is, have you stopped to celebrate what God has given you? What has he placed in your hands right now? The only way to respond to jealousy is by celebrating what God has given you and celebrating then what God has given others. And here's what's crazy. I'm going to ask you to do that out loud. Listen, who has what you think you deserve? You need to figure out a way to celebrate them. I want you, maybe, maybe send them an email, a text, a card, telling them that you're excited that their kid got that part in the play or that they got that promotion. Even if you felt like you deserve it, even if you don't know that you really, really mean it right now, let them know that you're excited, that things worked out, and be a blessing to them. Even if you don't feel it right now, you have to practice this because celebrating becomes more natural the more that we do it because that's what we're created to do. These are all things that we've been created to do. And as we close this series, I hope that you find some time to pause, to kind of look at yourself in the mirror and have a face-to-face -face conversation with you. What's your heart look like right now? If you can't figure this out, listen to your words, your tones, your thoughts, your watch your behaviors, because Jesus said it so clearly that it's out of the overflow of your heart that your mouth speaks. And so my question for you today, what are you speaking, both verbally and through your behaviors, because it's an overflow of your heart, and if you think you can pretend your way to the love of Christ, he doesn't want you to pretend, he wants you to guard your heart, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to embrace the love of Jesus for your life, and be filled with him, so that you in turn 
are loving others through the love that you've received and that your heart would not be filled with water once, but that you would be constantly filled, that you would be like a tree planted by streams of water whose roots go deep to soak in what God has for you so that you would be a blessing to others. This will not happen if we don't have guardrails. So where have you set them up in this series? Celebrate them and look to others and celebrate them. Crossbridge, thank you so much for joining us for this series. I cannot wait to see how you guard your hearts. We're so glad you joined us today. We believe that steps of faith happen in community and we would love for you to connect and grow with us in a small group here at Crossbridge. Our chat hosts are dropping a link over in the chat now so you can see all the virtual and in-person groups that we have available. If you have questions or are not really sure which group is best for you, go ahead and shoot us a message over a prayer at crossbridgecc.org. We can't wait to help you connect. We are all about loving God, loving people, and serving the world. If you want to give to help further that mission, you can head over to crossbridgecc.org give for all the ways that you can help contribute. 